one st- set of students came up and they said, we got new words to your song. I said, what are they? I'm morose, apathetic, and indifferent. I'm morose, apathetic, and indifferent. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yearbook Wise Podcast, the podcast for yearbook people everywhere. My name is Mike Simmons. I advise the Tessera Yearbook at Corning Painted Post High School in upstate New York. And today it's my pleasure to bring you the first in a series of discussions that we'll be having with past winners of the Journalism Education Association's Yearbook Advisor of the Year Award. That award is named for H.L. Hall the man who won it first in 1995. He started advising in Missouri in the early 70s and advised at Kirkwood High School in Missouri for 26 years. HL is a friend and mentor to hundreds of advisors, if not thousands, across the country and has been in his career and is a, a gracious and giving educator and journalism advisor and uh, just one heck of a storyteller. I think you'll enjoy our conversation with him very much indeed. A reminder, if you are a fan of the podcast or want to help spread the word, you can find it on Twitter at at yearbookwise. That's yearbook, W-H-Y-S. And if you have episode ideas, questions, feedback, or you want to be in touch, you can email me at iteachyearbook at gmail.com. And now it's my pleasure to bring you the conversation I had earlier with 1995's Yearbook Advisor of the Year, H.L. Hall. Tell me, I, I know I, I looked into your, your bio um, and, and did some reading, did some research, um, and we can get into the specifics of, of your timeline and history, but what are some of the earliest memories that you have of your involvement with journalism or your book in general? That I didn't know anything. <laughs> I did not major in journalism. I have a, two degrees, both in history, and so... I never dreamed that I'd be a journalism teacher. I minored in English uh, for my bachelor's degree at the University of Missouri, great journalism school there, but I wasn't involved in the journalism school at all. Uh, My wife, uh, amazingly enough, was a journalism major. Uh, I had ROTC in college, and when I went into the service, uh, I was made public information officer for my unit because of my English background. And... That was my initial start in journalism. Uh, I guess not my initial start because I did work for both my yearbook and newspaper in high school. Uh, I would not call it either one of them journalistic uh, publications. Uh, the newspaper was largely a gossip sheet. In fact, I, ha- I helped write some of the gossip. Uh, and I would, certainly wouldn't uh, recommend that today. And uh, But at any rate, uh, it was uh, just because I had... Uh, English as a minor, uh, became the public information officer and had to put out the unit newspaper. Uh, and we published once a month uh, during the two years that I was in the service and had one enlisted man that worked for me as a photographer, uh, but I had to do everything else. And I actually would give credit to my wife for teaching me uh, the rudiments of, of journalism because I'd never written a news story, a real news story, never done a layout. Uh, just had, had no experience at all. So, uh, and amazingly enough, she wound up uh, teaching English and social studies most of her career, teaching career, and I wound up being a journalism teacher. So, uh, you just never know where your life's going to take you. But um, I, uh, I, I can't imagine my my life without journalism. I just uh, it, it's a fantastic uh, career. I worked uh, in a in a wonderful school district. That, where there was great uh, administrative support. Uh, I started out at the, uh, when I started teaching after I got out of the service, uh, I was just teaching uh, social studies classes the first year. Uh, but in Missouri, if you could teach English, you could teach journalism. There were no other requirements at the time. And after my first year at the, and I started at junior high school, uh, the journalism teacher moved to Chicago. And so they asked me to take over the journalism uh, program, which involved both yearbook and newspaper. And so I did. Uh, after that first year, I applied for a, a Dow Jones uh, fellowship at the University of Minnesota. Back in those days, they had five-week courses, and mine was at the University of Minnesota. And uh, uh, that was just a, a fantastic experience. 
I learned much more things that my wife had not taught me. That uh, just a just a wonderful experience. And uh, but it was also one that I I learned that even if you didn't know what you were doing, uh, you could uh, could eventually uh, catch on. I, I never I remember that the professor George Hoggy, he was he was absolutely fantastic. Sent us out one day to cover an art festival on campus. We wrote a story daily during that five weeks, and that day it was an art festival. And his parting words to us was, whatever you do, put lots of color into your story. I had no idea what he meant. And because I was in there primarily with uh, teachers that had been teaching much journalism much longer than I had been, uh, I, uh, as a novice, didn't raise my hand and ask what he meant. So when I turned my story in, uh, I talked about the uh, the green paintings, the yellow paintings, the red paintings. <laughs> every every day, every day he would put the best story that was written and the worst story up. Never showed the name of the writers, uh, but uh, you can guess we had the worst story that day. Uh, that was me, and uh, so I learned from then on that you never fail to ask questions. <laughs> uh, and a good journalist is going to find out what somebody means, and uh, so. I turned out that I did a, uh, it was a great five week experience and I did all right and learned a lot. In fact, it was uh, Paul Swenson was the director of the newspaper fund at the time and he had an individual conference, which one of us the last day. And then he said, please keep me in touch. What, uh, uh, what, what you're doing? Uh, let, let me know. And as I said, I was at junior high level at that time and there were no junior high textbooks, no junior high materials. Everything was senior high oriented. So I actually went home that year and, and, uh, and put together my own curriculum. I just uh, made it for both yearbook and newspaper. And uh, uh, I sent at the end of the year, I packaged the whole thing up and I said, you said, keep in touch what I'm doing. And this is what I did. And lo and behold, he got back to me and says, I think I can get this published for you. Wow. So that was the start of junior high journalism, my first textbook. And uh, so, it, you know, and, and I had no experience. And so anybody just uh, that's just starting, uh, and maybe been thrown into a journalism uh, teaching assignment that they didn't know that they were going to to get the job or something. Uh, it's not impossible uh, if you uh, you're willing to work hard and, and learn and and uh, proceed. Uh, uh, you can you can accomplish a lot of things. That's a long story about how I got started in this business, but it's it's a little different than those people who have a have a journalism degree and, and knew they wanted to teach journalism when when they started. My own story started because I. The yearbook photography teacher was about eight months pregnant, and um, her baby uh, came a few weeks early. And she went out on maternity leave. And the principal said, "Hey, new guy, this is you know four months into uh, my special education career." He said, "New guy, you're always hanging out with the yearbook advisor. You always have a camera around your neck. Why don't you go do yearbook photography?" And that was 2001, and we never looked back. So there's, like you say, there's a lot of paths by which we come to this thing called yearbook. When did you uh, when did you make the move from middle school to high school? Uh, nineteen seventy three, uh, fall fall of nineteen seventy three. I uh, went to Kirkwood High School and was there for twenty six years. When I retired in nineteen ninety nine, and was it at that point that Mitch Eden took over for you? No, okay. uh, actually, uh, uh, they hired two of my former students uh, to take over for me. One uh, advised the yearbook, and one advised the newspaper. Oh, that must have been and, special uh, for you. Uh, it was, um, but uh, uh, but uh, the newspaper advisor took over both uh, publications in for a while until she had children, and it just became too much for her. And mm -hmm. uh, so then uh, then Mitch came on the scene. So it was, that was probably about six years after I retired. I'm not sure exactly when Mitch came to Kirkwood, but it's I'm say five to six years after I left Kirkwood. And you must be pleased to to look in on now and see how much it's flourishing. Oh, he's, he's doing a fantastic job. You just can't. Uh, and uh, it's just it's amazing. Uh, and uh, everything I had to fight for <laughs> to get equal. Although I had, I worked with two great principals. I don't want to, they really, but I worked with three principals in Kirkwood total, one at the junior high and two at the high school. They were all very supportive of the journalism program. Uh, but uh, uh, it was not, not easy to, uh, to get equipment. When I first started at the high school, uh, we were in a portable building. Uh, there were three portable buildings on campus because they had a larger, uh, enrollment and they could handle it in, in the main buildings and so I was in one of the portable buildings uh, which is pretty small we were elbow to elbow in that place and uh, 
the neat thing about the portable building was we didn't have air conditioning on campus, but the three portable buildings were air conditioned. <laughs> and so being in the English department, the English department always wanted to come to my room in the beginning <laughs> of school year at the end of school for their meetings because <laughs> had air conditioning, so uh, which was which is neat. But uh, I had three manual typewriters, and that's what we that's what we did uh, with uh, doing the newspaper and yearbook both, and three manual typewriters. So if you can imagine that. Uh, most people don't even know what a typewriter is these days. So. Let alone a dark room. Did you have access to one of those? Uh, we did have a dark room, which is in the uh, in the science building, which was uh, we had to go through North Building to get to Science Building. And so, after after hours when we're working, uh, we had to uh, prop the door open because the doors building <laughs> the doors were locked, and so we had to prop the doors open. Uh, eventually, we got a new dark room, which is down in the in called the Learning Resource Center. But still had a problem. I had to go through East Building at the Learning Resource Center. So then I moved to North Building uh, for a classroom, and they uh, uh, put a dark room in just right around the corner of my classroom. So and then eventually moved down to the uh, lobby of the old auditorium uh, when they uh, built a new auditorium. And in that lobby, they put in a dark room, so it was right off the classroom. So eventually had one right there. But but of course, my last year of teaching was uh, we started using digital cameras which were not nearly as good as they are today so we were still doing darkroom work too but i don't think they're doing any darkroom work at all anymore they might be they're still they're still teaching some photography classes i don't know whether it's just digital or what but i you know i really hated the darkrooms uh disappear because there was something magical about seeing that image appear in a piece of paper uh, just uh excited me i it caused me to to take a, a photography class See, i had no photography background at all but just uh Watching my students at the junior high level uh, develop pictures uh, made me take go and take a photography class. So. Yeah, there's a particular magic in being there for that moment in the uh, developing tray when it all comes uh, it all comes together. Yeah, yeah, I wound up with more than forty hours in journalism after I uh, after I started. I thought if I'm going to really know what I'm doing here, I need to take some classes. So I did. Uh, uh, so I. I did. I did pick up some knowledge that I didn't have, but uh, it, uh, it it wasn't easy. It would strike me that today, too, if we were to offer up a, a piece of advice for people listening in, especially if they're starting out as uh, new advisors or, or younger advisors, that there's a, a wealth of training opportunities open to them these days through JEA and the conventions and various universities offering certificate programs or the rest, you, you say you took over 40 hours of additional training. That's that's certainly a sound piece of advice. There's so much available now that doesn't even cost, like the JA curriculum is just uh, outstanding. Absolutely. And, uh, and of course, all the, uh, uh, there have been some free workshops uh, for advisors to attend, and uh, but just going to, to conventions, uh, and you've already gone into that subject, but I, I, I think my Knowledge was expanded tremendously just by going to JEA conventions and CSPA ones, uh, and uh, I became more active in JEA than did CSPA. Uh, but uh, it was uh, I just can't, and, and for my students too, I I usually took about forty students every year to a convention, wow. and I always made them uh, go to the fall convention because I said the spring convention was mine for JEA. <laughs> right. So tell me, when was the first time that you acknowledged that, that journalism and your book uh, education had really gotten into your bones? No, oh, it was into my bones when I was still in the service. Okay. Uh, my wife said I was a natural uh, as far as writing uh, journalistic was concerned and, and picking up some design ideas. Uh, but it was uh, natural. But, uh, it really didn't strike me. I, I, I was, I was uh, amazed at how well my, my junior high students did. I, I just... Uh, uh, you know, we had. I started out with one one class of, of journalism at the, at the junior high, and when I left the junior high, we had three classes of journalism, and uh, so and but we divided the uh, issues among the three classes of the newspaper, and then divided the sections of the yearbook among the three classes. So it made it a little more difficult to uh, produce uh, with uh, three classes in charge like that. But uh, I just I just thought that this is something that. Uh, uh, that all students uh, should have. And so I went to high school. I uh, had three classes again. I had the yearbook was a year-long class, newspaper was a year-long class, and I had a year-long beginning class. My second year, I divided that year-long beginning class into semester class, one for called magazine journalism, which is a training ground for 
news, yearbook and then newspaper journalism for a training ground for the newspaper. Four sections happen to form, two, two, two of each of those. And so I was up to four classes of journalism then in, in a six-period day. Next year, I started an electronic journalism class, and, and two sections of that formed. They were semester long, so I had five. So I was I was a full-time journalism teacher by my third year at, uh, at, at Kirkwood High. Uh, when I left Kirkwood High, we had two and a half journalism teachers. So, uh, And uh, I'm not sure what they have now. I know there is somebody working with Mitch, and I think there's somebody else that may be teaching uh, photography or broadcast classes. I'm not sure what their setup is right now. But anyway, but I tell you what uh, – my first yearbook at, at Kirkwood High School, <laughs> I used to show it at workshops and say, uh, this is how not to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it uh, I, I, I told the students when I went up there, they, they, I, I replaced a, a, a teacher that was pretty well liked by the students. And I said, I'm not going to make waves. I'm, I, uh, I know you've been trained by somebody else. And unless I think you're really doing something that's journalistically unsound, um, I'm not, I'm not going to make waves. And, uh, and I think that's the smartest thing I could ever do because uh, it, it made a, a pretty nice relationship between the students and myself. And then by the second year, uh, I began to uh, use a little more influence uh, with things that I thought should happen. But uh, our, our theme of our first book was No Man is an Island. Okay. And don't ask, don't ask me why we chose that. I have no idea. That's what the students wanted. And uh, you know, I think the the, the kids uh, they were good kids, and, and but uh, uh, and if I could have them again <laughs> the next year, I think we would that we did put out a more decent book. But uh, it was uh, it was a challenge. But I remember that that first yearbook, uh, the photography was terrible. You you would you would scream if you saw some of the pictures. In fact, we had one uh, assistant. Uh, picture of assistant football coach, uh, an action picture, and, and his hairline didn't uh, show up and his eyebrows didn't show up. So the, uh, unbeknownst to me, I didn't know the editor doctored it up a little bit with some uh, artistic touches. And <laughs> 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 it came out of the book, looked like he had no eyes and, and no, no hair. So it was, a, it was, it was a funny picture, but, uh, but we had a good time and, uh, uh, the kids that stayed on staff, uh, uh, we, we we began to, I think by our third year, I think it was the third book, we uh, got an All-American book. They didn't have pacemaker books in those days, uh, All-American, four-star or five-star, they called them in, in those days. And uh, it was pretty unusual to get more than three, four, five books that, that got four or five stars in those days. And now you can tell where yearbooks have gone. Uh, now you get 50 yearbooks that uh, are mm-hmm. getting a pacemaker nomination anyway. Uh, and, uh, yeah. That's I, I give that credit to a lot. Of, I think conventions again, but also a lot of workshops around there. When there were no very few yearbook workshops when I uh, uh, got started, uh, they were more oriented toward newspaper, but then all the yearbook companies started doing their own workshops. And of course, a lot of universities did. Uh, uh, so tell me, with that development and the and the the growth that you've seen and, and you've lived through in um, books achieving some real excellence, it, it makes me think of a um, article that's bouncing around just in the last couple of days with the new voices legislation and the new voices law in Nevada. It's being challenged by a school district in Nevada because the uh, the folks there are claiming that the newspaper is the journalism program, but your book is just a yearbook. Yearbooks are obviously not journalism at all. And you can imagine the the waves that that that's making on uh, yearbook Facebook. Um, But when did you start seeing that that development of books uh, around the country really coming into their own and and making a bold statement, a claim toward journalism and high quality design, cohesive uh, theme and, and unity across the book from cover to cover? Was there one certain inflection point where it just kind of took off? Was it gradual? How, how did you experience that? I read that article that you referenced about the situation in Nevada, and I just my blood boiled when I saw it because I fought that for a long time. Um, that uh, and 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 really, when I was first teaching at the yearbooks, were not journalistic publications because there was practically no copy uh, in the yearbooks, uh, and. Uh, it, uh, if the copy we had might have been uh, uh, captions, uh, and uh, even those were not <laughs> were not detailed. They didn't answer the who, what, when, where, why, and how. And uh, 
uh, captions have so much more depth uh, than they used to. You know, to answer your question, when, the, when when it really took off, I'd say it was probably not until the 80s um, uh, that uh, saw more of your books across the country really, really improving. Uh, maybe maybe the late 70s, but I'd say it was probably the 80s. Um, I uh, used to say the two were, well, I, I, have, I have judged and evaluated, I like the word evaluated better than judged, evaluated more than 6,000 publications in my uh, lifetime. I started I, right after the first uh, uh, yearbook uh, received a, uh, a four or five star All American rating uh, with the NSPA. I started evaluating books for them, and I do it for several states now as well. But uh, uh, yearbooks and, and newspapers. Uh, I keep a daily journal. Uh, I started a daily journal uh, uh, the day that my wife and I got married. Uh, it was such a, a special day for me i just wanted to capture it in words and uh, uh and i used to tell my students i said if you really want to become a better writer journal i'm not saying keep a diary i'm saying journal mm-hmm. <laughs> reflect on things and uh through through uh, you used to say that your your books uh, the copy and and the photography was, was were the two worst parts of your books uh, photography is has come such a long way with digital photography. Uh, it's, it's much, much better than it used to be. Uh, you just don't see the lack of contrast like you used, used to. I mean, you still see it, but, but pictures being out of focus, it's very rare. But copy is still my pet peeve, mm-hmm. I guess, and maybe always will be. And I, I still, copy has, has gotten much, much better too. But uh, you, you talk about good themes. I, I think a, uh, I, I, I don't think themes really came into their own until uh, the late 70s, uh, early 80s, uh, because even today, uh, I, I, I do not like a lot of themes that I see in your book because they're loaded with opinion. If you read the theme copy, you would think that every school in the United States was the best school in the United States. There can't be any school better. You would think that nobody was unhappy, that every single person uh, just loves their school. And, uh, and that's just not the way things are. And if you're going to be a journalistic publication, uh, you need to keep opinion out of this publication, except through direct quotes. Keep the writer's opinion out because you're writing a history book, and history is supposed to be factual. Uh, but there is so much writer's opinion, not just in the theme copy, but, but throughout the copy. Uh, it's uh, it's amazing that I'm still seeing this. And uh, I, I have judged one book. I'm not going to mention state, but I've judged it several times uh, over the last uh, – 10 years and uh, it doesn't change and I think it doesn't change because it's the same advisor and <laughs> the advisor is letting the students get by with it mm-hmm. so it, it just amazes me how how much opinion uh, you find in copy and sports copy is still I think sports copy needs to capture the action and I've always said that the first step in the writing process is to observe and I get a distinct feeling in evaluating all the books I have that most of the writers don't go to the scene, whether it's a sports game or whether it's a club event or student life activity, whatever, or even they, they're not they're not observing and they're not reacting to what they observe to actually look at what uh, is different. You know, you got to cover certain things every year, but you got to find something different that's unusual. Uh, it's not the same thing that you reported the previous year. Right. But you're not going to get good sports copy if you don't observe the game. How can you talk about that basketball player that goes up and makes that dunk for the winning shot if you don't see it? Uh, you know. And there's no way you can cover it. As I say when I evaluate books, you can't possibly cover every single play. But you can single out a few that made a difference during the year. Right. Instead, instead, I see in sports copy, oh, the team bonded. Uh, <laughs> I think if I see another team bonded in that book, I may just, I, I don't know. I, I've seen that so many times. And, and they wonderful. gave their all 24-7 too, right? Yes, right. Uh, right. <laughs> so, well, listen, you, you talk about all these books you've evaluated, and, and that is a, a testament to how how much you've given and, and, and ha- the value that you, you place on the scholastic journalism that's being created coast to coast. I know that you also serve as a, a mentor um, to advisors around the country. If we can roll back on your own story a little bit, tell me about one of your mentors. As you look back at your time when you started out at Kirkwood, is there somebody who took you under their wing and mentored you? Well, I do think that uh, uh, 
Rod Ball, he's a newspaper advisor, not a yearbook advisor, but Rod Ball was the uh, director of the newspaper workshops at Ball State the first year that I taught there. And uh, Rod was uh, was a definite mentor for me. Uh, just uh, he was he loved life. He loved teaching journalism. Uh, he uh, I don't know. He he knew how to to relate to kids. Uh, he knew he knew the things that were most important uh, for a journalism teacher to know. And I go back to my my to George Hoggy, the professor at uh, University of Minnesota. Uh, he was just uh, and 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 Paul Swenson, who was the director of the newspaper fund, was uh, he kept in contact with me all those years. And when when I ran for president of JEA, uh, he even sent me money for my campaign back in those days. Uh, campaigns you could uh, you you actually could uh, campaign wow. send out material about and so uh, I, they they were just great and 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 the teachers in the St Louis area um, Howard Emerson he was a yearbook advisor and uh, he he definitely uh, was a, a mentor for me and I learned a lot from uh, uh, Ron Clemens uh, who was a teacher over in the Kansas City area and. Uh, and Linda Putney, she and I, we worked a lot of workshops together in Missouri. She was great. Uh, so one of the best. One of the best, yes, without a doubt. So uh, I think, you know, I, and again, that's why I, I emphasize attending conventions uh, and going to workshops because you learn so much. I mean, they all become your mentors, actually. Right. The first time I came to Tennessee, I became the director of the Tennessee High School Press Association for about six years, and uh, in that role, I definitely mentored. Uh, some people and there is it, it really does seem there's a there's a certain uh, cyclic nature to it i, I mean I, I haven't been at this that long a little, little over a decade and a half and i hope that i've got a long way yet to go but the people who took me under their wing early on and kind of showed me a way or a better way um, or helped me see beyond maybe myself and my own ego or what i was starting to become ingrained with um, they sent me on a course towards be it camps or, Hey, Mike, you and the kids should go to conventions or you should submit, or you should write this article. And like how formative that was for me in my own development. I find myself now, I think as, as you have, and as you do, um, trying to, to pay that forward and, and, and be that person for other newer advisors. Um, the, the network that we all benefit from is just it, it's the, I think it's the single greatest resource that I have at my disposal as an advisor, and I'm sure you'd agree to that too. Definitely. Uh, the, I remember with, with Linda Putney, uh, we were teaching a summer workshop at the University of Missouri one summer, and uh, I showed her a Kirkwood yearbook, and uh, and uh, she looked through it and says, it's a, it's a beautiful book, but I do think you need to think about one thing. And I said, what's that? And she said, most of your captions begin with somebody's name. And that gets really monotonous after a while. <laughs> and, uh, and that's one of the things ever since that uh, I noticed in the yearbooks that I evaluate, a lot of captions begin with names, uh, someone's name. And uh, if they're not names, they're usually uh, gerunds, ing words, or uh, they're prepositions like after and while. And, and uh, I, I do think that uh, we need to give as much thought to how you begin captions as you do to the leads of copy. Mm -hmm. uh, Otherwise, they become very monotonous, and so that was something that that, that Linda just said. It was just a brief passing comment, but it just it stuck with me. It's funny how that has stuck with you. I, I remember the first night that I met Carrie Faust. Um, it was just outside Boston, and she and I were there. We were brought together to teach for the Boston Yearbook Academy uh, for a two day, and we were hanging out in the hotel lounge, and we traded books as advisors who have just met each other do. And she looked at it and I'd heard all sorts of stories about the Carrie Faust and her energy and enthusiasm and expertise. And she took a, just kind of that, that riffle through it, you know, covered a page to page to page a quick, maybe, maybe 30 seconds. And she looked at me and she said, do you want me to tell you that it's the most beautiful thing you, that I've ever seen? Or do you want me to tell you the ways that I think you can do better? And there's only one right answer to that question. And, and that question has now in turn become something that I pose to staffs, but it sticks with me. And I'll remember that interaction for the rest of my life, just like you remember Linda and your captions. <laughs> Too often we don't like to hear the things that uh, <laughs> that are negative. And uh, that's just human nature, not just about your books, but that's just human nature. And, uh, and we need to hear the negative things sometimes. Talking about those negatives, can you remember and, and describe for the listeners one of your most challenging days as an advisor? Well, I remember when... Uh, we sent our final shipment to the plant, 
and uh, it never arrived. And so, <laughs> uh, so we had to uh, go back, and then this is the day before days before computers, of course. We, it wasn't easy. We had to go back and reconstruct everything, reprint oh all gosh. the pictures and everything. And this is this uh, it happened. We sent the final pages just before spring break. When we found out they never arrived, uh, the students that were were in town <laughs> came back to. And uh, we worked uh, hard to get the reconstruct the pages and get them there. And several weeks later, several weeks later, they found the pages behind some cabinet at the post office. Oh no! <laughs> so, anyway, I, I, that that was a challenge. I don't know if that was the most challenging day or not, but that was certainly a challenge. I remember another time too that uh, uh, we were working on our final deadline, and uh, uh, we discovered that uh, uh, nobody had ever written the copy for the last page of the book, uh, our closing theme copy. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, we just, uh, I just called a halt to everything and said, all right, uh, uh, our, our, our theme copy, is, uh, I, I can't remember now what the theme of the book was, but I know that uh, the copy was sort of a remember when type thing. And I said, everybody on staff, just sit down and write the one memorable moment that you had during this school year that, that we haven't covered already in this book. And so that became our final copy. Uh, of the book that year. Uh, copy by committee, if you will. Copy by committee. Uh, and uh, just happened that uh, the editor had, uh, had never signed that copy, and somehow that slipped through everybody, had, had, including me. I didn't realize it had not been assigned, which is kind of weird because we have a, uh, a ladder diagram and the assignments are made. Mm -hmm. That one slipped through somehow, but it got done. You know, they say that, um, and you're, you're a parent, right? Yes, I have two daughters. Okay. And grandkids? Five grandkids and one great-grandson. Wow, tremendous. Congratulations there. We've got four kids, and uh, grandma and grandpa love doting on them. So They say that you're not supposed to have favorite children. Um, I've often been told you're not supposed to have favorite students either and certainly try to, to, to play that straight down the middle at school. But as it goes to yearbooks, maybe the rules could be a little bit different. Is there one book that you you and your team worked on that you look back on that was was particularly exceptional or, or unique, either in its just how it came together or its um, overall I'd, achievement? I had a feeling you might ask that. <laughs> so uh, I just uh, pulled put out the book that I thought was uh, we we I think we had a lot of good books uh, personally, uh, but uh, uh, our theme for one was all about the ABCs. And that's because our, and this is my pet peeve about themes too. I think themes really should fit the specific year at mm -hmm. your school. Absolutely. And I, I had, I can't tell you how many times I would teach the workshop and they said, there's nothing new happening at our school. And I said, no, we're going to stop and think. And I usually could come up with things that help them. But we had a, changed our schedule uh, that year uh, to an ABC schedule um, that uh, certain classes met on A days and certain classes on B days and certain classes on C days. So all about the ABCs was just, was just a natural force uh, to, to do that year. And uh, I really think it was, it was uh, an outstanding book that the kids put together. And uh, I remember that uh, I think it had some of the best copy uh, that we ever, ever had in yearbook as well. And uh, I remember an advisor from California uh, called me one day and said that, uh, uh, I guess it must have been a Herb Jones advisor that Ann Akers had uh, said to her that uh, they, she had to get a hold of, uh, uh, of the book that I'd written about the ABCs. <laughs> wow. and I, I said, I didn't write a book about the ABCs. She said, well, Ann Akers said it had the best copy. It had such good copy in it. And I said, you're talking about the yearbook the kids produced, uh, not something that I produced. Right. And so anyway, uh, it was uh, – uh, I, I just think it was a. I think design wise, it was some of the best design that we had uh, at at that time, uh, and that was our 1990 book okay. uh, that that came out. And uh, so, anyway, that's uh, the one I really liked, and uh, I liked our 1999 one quite well too. It was uh, uh, we did a, a calendar book, and uh, the cover had a calendar on it, and each of it by pitch and page, we did it by months. So we had started with the month of June. And uh, uh, had a divider for each uh, uh, each month, and uh, in the calendar we had pictures on some dates of events that took place on those dates, and then we also just had a copy on some of the dates of some events that took place. But I thought that was a good book. 
Tell me a little bit about your style as an educator and, and facilitator of young people. How did you foster your, your staff's engagement and, and how did you motivate them? Uh, laugh a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I used to, I, when we were in the portable building and I was there till, I guess from 1974 till 1983, we moved into the other building. But anyway, uh, we were just elbow to elbow and, uh, I used to sit down with the kids uh, at the final late night if they were still uh, having trouble uh, writing headlines. And uh, I used to, I just loved throwing out stupid headlines <laughs> <laughs> that, I knew, that I knew we weren't going to use, but I, I, they, they, they would laugh at them. And this would get them started into thinking about it. I used to do the same thing with captions. They were having trouble with captions. And uh, in fact, uh, I was looking at the uh, 1978 book. Um, uh, a reason I pulled that out is because the uh, the year the the class of 1978 have a reunion uh, this coming July, and they've invited me to come back to it. So I I pulled that book out just to look at it. And, uh, the notes that the, some of the staff members had written in my book, um, one of them said, uh, "Be sure and look at page 113 uh, at the caption." <laughs> it made me laugh as I I did because it was a a kid sitting on a sitting on a sleeping bag and and uh, I, I had thrown out the suggestion that uh, maybe we could start with Once Upon a Sleeping Bag. <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember, again, I was being stupid, of course, and uh, but uh, it was uh, it was just one of those things. Uh, but I, I, I just had such great staff. So that little portable building was uh, so so small that you just uh, you could not hear yourself. I mean, obviously, in a yearbook classroom a newspaper classroom kids have got to be talking you can't just have them sitting quietly in their seats and uh did have a phone in the room but i i was always having to yell at them to get quiet when a phone call came because i couldn't hear anything so uh, one year i'd gone home about 6 30 after yearbook deadline and uh, about about 9 30 my yearbook editor called and uh asked if i'd go back up to the room because she had left. She'd gone to visit a college that day and uh, she'd left some books in the room that she needed and I wouldn't know if I'd go get it. But I, I lived pretty close to school, about four blocks away, and uh, that that was a rather common request for me to come back uh, up, especially for photographers who needed more film or something. Right. I did go back up and the light switch in the room was about six feet inside the door. And uh, so... I walked in, and she walked in with me, and I flipped on the light switch. And the first thing I saw was students underneath every single table in the in the classroom. So I just turned around and flipped the uh, uh, light switch off. And uh, it took them a while to get me to turn it back on. And then they they said you got to turn back around. So I turned around again. Then I, what I saw in the corner of the room was a uh, one of these uh, telephone booths, these glass telephone booths. Okay. Uh, that old fashioned, and of course, my first reaction was, "Where did you rip that thing off from?" <laughs> and they knew that I was would ask that question. They produced a letter from Western Electric Company saying they could have it if they moved it themselves. So that's what they did. And then after I left, of course, the principal was in on this. And after I left that night, it took him so long to get it in because the top of it was wired, and the top was too wide to go through the door. Mm-hmm. So I had to take the top off, get the wire off, and then get it into the room. And then when we got in the room, the only place to set it was in the corner, right? A, a cabinet that was full of exchange yearbooks. And <laughs> I had locked the cabinet. And uh, so it, to manhandle that, move it out of the way, get that telephone booth in there was, was quite a task. Uh, but that telephone booth went with us uh, to all the other rooms that I went to. <laughs> One year, we had, we had to move the day before school started, and I, I didn't have any students up there. And so the freshman football team was out practicing uh, close to my room. And I walked out and asked the coach if I could borrow some of his kids to carry the phone booth down to the other room. So uh, I used the freshman football team to move it. But uh, it's amazing how that closing the door in that glass phone booth, it really uh, dulled the noise. And uh, uh, it just uh, uh, made it uh, uh, much better. So huh. uh, I don't know. We just uh, laugh a lot. And the kids made me laugh a lot. One year they uh, we had a, we have a – Thanksgiving Day football game with Webster Groves, the neighboring school, and uh, always have a hall decorating contest. Uh, some of the clubs would decorate a hall, and different classes decorate a hall. But because my last name is Hall, uh, I was decorated one year. <laughs> so, that was, uh, 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 I know, you, you got to laugh a lot, but the, with the laughter, uh, 
I think you also have to work, obviously, and you've got you've got to take pride in what you're doing. I think that is is so important. And I think because we got on a on a streak where we had so many pacemakers in a row that uh, it uh, each uh, each staff wanted to be sure that they got they they wanted one too, and they wanted to outdo the previous staff. And uh, it uh, anyway, it was just a uh, it's a great time, and I, I I just think that if anyone has not had any experience, like I hadn't had any experience, uh, you can get it. Uh, there's so, so much help for you out there now, and uh, there's so many so many great journalism features out there. I mean, all the you don't have to be a yearbook advisor of the year to be a great journalism teacher. In fact, there's some teachers there that I'm surprised they haven't received that award yet. Mm-hmm. But uh, and uh, it's uh, yeah, I mean, there's help, and I I think any Anyone that I know in this business, if somebody asking for suggestions, uh, people will give it to them. I mean, they, they're, they're willing to help, just like Carrie Faust sat down and gave you some help. Linda Putney gave me some some tips. Uh, and, uh, of course, everybody that I work with at uh, different workshops around the country. Um, and it's just uh, – and, and, and the yearbook company that you work for. I, I think the, the reps are going to uh, do the best they can uh, for, for you. And uh, – there's just a lot of help out there, and you don't want to be afraid to ask for help. So we're going to bring this to a close in, in, a, in a few minutes, but tell me and tell our listeners, what's what's your most uh, memorable or, or just awesome story about the power of your book? Was there a particular story or coverage package that your staff put together? Was there a, an opportunity for them to cover something that was a, a current event or a matter of local importance is any kind of, maybe it was staff or student transformation um, that, that didn't have much to do with ink on the page itself. What stayed with you? Well, we were able to cover any controversial issue in the yearbook. Uh, I think our yearbook was a journalistic book and, and we covered uh, stories differently than the, than the newspaper did, but we, we, we covered the stories. And, uh, one of the most controversial things that, ever happened at Kirkwood High School was a Planned Parenthood ad that the uh, call staff ran. Uh, and Planned Parenthood, uh, we had a big discussion on the call staff as to whether we would run the ad or not. And the students uh, voted to, to, to run it because it was not controversial. Planned Parenthood in St. Louis did not commit, a, did not do abortions. And so um, it uh, really didn't have anything controversial in the ad at all. And it, uh, uh, was really just an ad that if uh, if you need advice, uh, we're here for advice type of thing. Ad ran two times and there was no uh, no controversy at all. I mean, nobody raised a question about it at all. But then some of the students in art class uh, uh, created some scu- a sculpture, and one of the sculptures burned part of an American flag. And students at the school got really upset about that, and they protested outside of the school one morning on the sidewalk outside the school. And the St. Louis Post-Dispatch picked up the story. And picking that story up, uh, they found out about the Planned Parenthood ad, uh, that some people were upset about that as well. And uh, another school district in the area, uh, had the administration had, had denied uh, that newspaper the right to run the ad. And the Post-Dispatch picked up on that, ran that story, and at the very end of the story, it said that eight school newspapers in the area were running the ad, including Kirkwood and Clayton. very next morning, uh, somebody knew my habits, and I got to school about 6 o'clock every morning, and the phone rang, and I had a very upset person. I don't know who he was. He did not, did not identify himself. And he just ran and raved about how terrible it was we're running this ad, and it just uh, it's absolutely awful. He finally uh, said, I wasn't listening. I said, I'm saying, yes, sir, yes, sir. Yeah, but you're not responding. I said, I'm saying, yes, sir. And I said, I've, and I've also told you that my students make the decision. I didn't make the decision about, about running the ad. And uh, so anyway, at the end, he finally had, had had enough, I guess. And he said, I understand you let boys wear baseball caps at your school, too. And I said, well, I don't, but the administration does. And he says, well, I never. And he hung up the phone. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we got phone calls all over the place. Uh, and I felt so sorry for our secretaries. They were taking so many phone calls and channeling them out to me. And then when they come to me, they, I, I, 
if I turned more, I said, you need to talk to my editor. He'll be in the room. Many times he's in the room. But uh, anyway, uh, make a long story short, uh, the uh, it, it became a, a major, major issue. And uh, this, uh, the uh, uh, don't have time for all the details, but uh, we finally wound up with the call staff uh, taking a half day off school. Jim Tim said we could have the whole day, but we took a half day off and uh, it was one of the greatest learning experiences ever because we before before that time we we I made my students research Planned Parenthood and uh, Birthright was another organization that that had gotten involved and uh, uh, and had speakers from these different organizations come and and uh, but it was just great and I knew beforehand how the vote was going to be by the students uh, and that was to continue to run the ad and I think the vote was twenty six to three as I recall and uh, anyway then it became a this happened all just before Christmas, and the opposition said we did it just before Christmas on purpose. And hmm. we had a board meeting that uh, in January, where uh, one of the other journalism teachers at the school uh, uh, had made buttons that support the call and pioneers stand on this uh, issue. And uh, I could tell when we got the meeting, there's over 500 people there, that we had many more people on our side because they were all wearing these buttons uh, than the opposition did. And it was so neat because the school board, uh, every single member of the school board, um, made a personal statement about the issue before they cast their vote. And the vote was unanimous to continue to support the call and the pioneer on their uh, – oh, I should have said that we rewrote the advertising policy to make it clear exactly that our ad policy had just said before that we had the right to accept or reject any ad. Uh, this time – when we wrote the policy, it became much more specific as to what ads we would reject and what ads would be acceptable. And so each board member voted unanimously to support uh, the new policy uh, and uh, allow us to continue. And so anyway, the, the Pioneer uh, covered that story uh, just as uh, as the call would cover the story. And so uh, it wasn't something that we that we left out. So that's a that's, uh, you know, that, that's being journalistic. Uh, how can you not cover a story like that, which was such a major story of the year, even though it was our own story? Right. It, was, uh, it was just a major story of the year, and you, you can't leave it out. And it's so timely for the New Voices campaigns. I know that you know I'm involved in the in the New York campaign, um, and we've got, I think right now, six states with bills, uh, active bills and legislatures. Um, I, I can't help but but lift up and think of all the students at Stoneman Douglas High School and, and how many of the young people who are speaking up and these days after the horrific tragedy there last Wednesday that their eloquence is coming in large part because I know some of them are involved in journalism classes and they'll tell their own stories in due time and they already are. Um, the ability for advisors to train and facilitate their staffs but then stand up with and for and behind them uh, in in the students' uh, own manifestation of their First Amendment rights. There's such powerful opportunities there when you're able to do that. Oh, I, I no doubt, doubt, and I'm so excited about what's happening in Missouri uh, right now. I recall yeah. back in the 90s, I, I went uh, with my students and principal uh, on three different occasions uh, down to the state legislature to uh, promote a bill, but in the 90s it was really close to when Hazelwood was headed down still, and and, and being in Missouri, there was uh, we didn't we didn't stand a chance, and 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 every year it started out in a different uh, committee at the legislature, and uh, and uh, so we didn't we didn't succeed, but they're they uh, I think they're going to get get it through this year. I really think they are, yeah. and uh, I hope they do anyway. So absolutely, it's, uh, it's just uh, fantastic, and uh, and what the kids are doing in Florida, I think uh, uh, I think they're doing the right thing. Uh, and it's uh, it's just neat to see kids stand up for their for their rights and uh, for for things that bother them and concern them. And um, I just uh, I I know it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that yearbook uh, covers the situation uh, uh, this year. I mean, geez, how do you tell a story about seventeen students that were killed? Yeah, uh, yeah. they weren't all students. Seventeen people, I should say, they weren't all students. But it's just a outstanding story to be told. And for everybody listening to that's the uh, the airy yearbook at Stoneman Douglas High School, advised by Sarah Lerner. She's um, active with JEA. Uh, her colleague Melissa Falkowski is the newspaper and journalism teacher there. I think they both teach um, J one classes, but I know that uh, 
that everybody, yeah, I will say it's in my own kids participated. Um, you and I have talked about conventions and the yearbook network and our collegial uh, relationships, our, our friendships with, with colleagues coast to coast. To see the outpouring of support from journalism and yearbook staffs on Twitter um, in the last few days, I'm not sure if you're active on Twitter, but there are staffs all over the country who are tagging um, the Eagle Eye staff and the Airy staff at um, at Stoneman Douglas and letting those kids know that uh, that people are standing with them. It, it just makes my heart swell with pride for the, the, the broader journalism and yearbook community um, and, and the, the whole family that's out there. It's just it's absolutely phenomenal to see that that level of support. And I noticed today that there's a GoFundMe uh, account's been set up for the journalism program there. And uh, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, uh, what its purpose is, but I just noticed that uh, uh, they are just uh, set up a GoFundMe. Yeah, we'll link to that in the podcast description. I uh, I have a friend at one of the yearbook companies who is supporting that staff, and apparently, um, it it may be help uh, may be used to help them uh, handle some costs and fees associated with the development of the program. But I think some of it's going to be geared toward the um, the Never Again movement that's uh, been spawned. As a as a result of of last week's shooting, um, these kids are on the move, and and if you follow, uh, certainly it'll be in the news, but also on Twitter, um, there's some marches planned, and and it seems like something's afoot, and and something positive at that, and the kids are 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 taking ownership of ownership of it, which uh, I think is the best that any journalism advisor could ever hope for, is that the kids are are leading the charge. I want to um, want to move back to a, a happier topic um, as we wrap this up and have you reflect a little bit on yourself um, back in the 70s. If, if you could give some advice to yourself right before those, let's say the, the first year at, at Kirkwood High or maybe the first year going into the, to the junior high, what would you tell young HL to worry less about on the one hand and what would you tell him to do more of on the other? I would say uh, that you really need to be obviously concerned about putting out some uh, some excellent publications, but uh, more important it is to uh, develop good relationships with staff. And uh, I think that uh, once you and, and I'm talking about the yearbook staff as well as the faculty staff certainly at at your school. I think uh, you you can't you cannot produce uh, good publications without support of the faculty. In fact. Uh, my first year at Kirkwood High School, uh, my department chair came up to me and said, uh, we did not like your predecessor, and we see absolutely no reason why we should like you. Uh, <laughs> so wow. I, I knew I had a battle on my hands right there. In fact, there was one teacher that uh, uh, would not let my students, yearbook or newspaper, uh, into his classroom to uh, talk to him or, or his students at all. Because uh, And uh, I asked him why when I sent some yearbook students for to get some quotes one day, and uh, he said uh, he'd been misquoted too many times with the newspaper. So these are my yearbook students. He said they're still your students, aren't they? <laughs> and I said that they weren't my students when it happened. Were they? No. It took me three years to finally win him over uh, that uh, that we were out to uh, put out a responsible yearbook and responsible that uh, newspaper accuracy is so important. And I think that's uh, uh, one thing that I would stress. Uh, and uh, uh, again, I th and, and with your students on staff, I think you just have to sometimes take a break. Um, uh, I had a little ditty I sang all the time. I'm alive, awake, alert, and enthusiastic. I'm alive, awake, alert, and enthusiastic. I'm alive, awake, alert. I'm alert, alive, and awake. I'm alive, awake, alert, and enthusiastic. And uh, I just sometimes stop and sing that, and I get my students singing too. I had my one set of students came over today and said, we got new words to your song. I said, what are they? I'm morose, apathetic, and indifferent. I'm morose, apathetic, and indifferent. <laughs> anyway, uh, but we we take breaks. I mean, we 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 might just go on a snake dance around the campus after when after school hours when nobody else is around and and uh, and do that. And we'd uh, uh, we had a white elephant gift exchange at Christmas time, and they were always fun. And uh, we'd have secret pals during the year. And you, you got to come up with some 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 fun times because uh, the the stress of of getting uh, issue of the paper done or meeting a deadline of, of on the pioneer. I know in the pioneer we always had what we called a magic number. Uh, if on a particular deadline we had 40 pages due and somebody would turn in a spread and, and the people that were working on the spread, we worked in teams so that 
the team would get up and they, they'd yell, change the magic number because the number had gone down from 40 to 38 and uh, everybody would applaud. And then uh, the next group would do the same thing, change the magic number. So we got down to zero. And uh, and food is a good thing too. Uh, get get parental support. Uh, we had parents that just brought in food all the time. So uh, and uh, which was which was great. But uh, don't be afraid to have fun. Yes, you've got the stress of putting meeting deadlines, but uh, uh, I think if you have fun, the deadlines will come easier. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, HL, I, you have been such a resource to advisors over the year. Um, you, you've critiqued our, our books here in Corning uh, and, and been there for uh, advice and support, be it through the JEA listserv or in, in so many other ways. And I'm just one person, uh, just one podcast host, but I, I want to say thank you uh, tremendously for, for sharing your insight and perspective and, and the ways that you continue to do so. I, I don't expect you're stopping the, uh, the critiques and the, the outreach anytime soon. You're, you're still with us for a while yet? Oh, I'm, I'm still doing critiques, yes. <laughs> I, I, I've done over 100 this year, so <clears throat> I, I, I think I do it. I'd say it's seven different states in, in NSPA that I critique for, so... Um, Yes, I'm still doing it as long as and, – and, you know, I used to do it. Uh, I always enjoyed doing it, but I used to do the critiques because I could pick up so, so many great ideas from other books right. uh, that I could pass on to my students. Uh, and now I'm, I'm doing it because I'm keeping up with the trends. I like to I like to see what's happening. And uh, it just uh, – and I would – I've said so many times I would love to still be in the classroom. Uh, I only retired in 99. Uh, I was only 59 years old at the time, but uh, – Kirkwood set up an early retirement plan that I had to take it that year and not get it. And it was silly for me not to take it because I made more money not teaching <laughs> than teaching right. uh, uh, at the time. But uh, uh, I love teaching. I, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, I, I would love to have the opportunity to, to use uh, some of the technology that's in play today because I just think it's uh, you know, I, I look back and think I used to teach workshops where I taught Photoshop and um, um, other software programs. I couldn't begin to teach some of those today because they changed so much. And it's like I told you, I hadn't used Skype for years, and uh, and I used to Skype quite a bit with uh, family members, especially and uh, exchange students overseas. And I don't, I don't do that anymore. So uh, you, you lose out if you if you're not in the classroom. And so I'd love to be back in the classroom. So I urge all of you to if you enjoy it, keep it, keep doing it for as long as you can. Well, I think that's as good a place as any to leave it. Again, our guest today has been H.L. Hall. He's the man for whom the Yearbook Advisor of the Year Award is named. And H.L., uh, on behalf of all of us, thanks again for taking the time. Thank you. There's so much there that H.L. shared. And again, H.L., thank you for your time and for, for sharing so many stories of your time in journalism education and advising yearbooks. Over the last few episodes, there have been some common themes that have developed around the broader yearbook network, this group of advisors and yearbook professionals in the country who are there for each other and resources to each other. Uh, some of that's enabled through JEA and the JEA listserv. A whole bunch of it, as you heard from myself and Jim Jordan in the previous episode in the feed, and today again with HL, uh, centers around conventions and the relationships that you develop and can maintain at those gatherings nationally. But really, don't be afraid. If, if you're a, a younger or newer advisor um, who is maybe on their own at the school and you don't have a lot of guidance or you haven't networked with other advisors out there, you know, be in touch. You can always email me at iteachyearbook at gmail.com or work with your yearbook rep. Um, but there's lots of people who can put you in touch with other advisors uh, in your area. And uh, certainly I'm happy to be a resource um, to, to put you in touch and into that network if you need to. You can find more information about JEA uh, and the opportunities available through the Journalism Education Association in the description for the podcast. A reminder that the CSPA and NSPA JEA conventions are fast approaching. Registration deadlines are coming due. Uh, CSPA is up first in the middle of March and hope to see you there with your staffs. And uh, JEA NSPA, the National High School Journalism Convention, follows in April. We made mention of it in the podcast and in our discussion with H.L. Hall, 
But I do want to lift up Melissa Falkowski and Sarah Lerner and their staffs at the Eagle Eye and at the Airy Yearbook at Stoneman Douglas High School down in Florida. Thinking of you, I know that from watching Twitter, there are yearbook and journalism staffs around the country uh, who are standing with you. And uh, I just want you to know that, that you're in my thoughts and uh, in the thoughts of, of so many people out here in the broader journalism family. We stand with you and we stand with Stoneman Douglas in this time of grief and, and ongoing healing. Friends, that'll do us uh, for this time around on the YearbookWise podcast. Again, you can find us on Twitter at YearbookWise. That's at Yearbook, W-H-Y-S. If you've got feedback or input, episode ideas, or anything else, feel free to be in touch at iteachyearbook at gmail.com. Those final deadlines are approaching, so hang in there and power through. But for now, good luck, be well, talk soon.